John chapter 1, verse 19. I was once told by someone I considered a friend that I was one of their favorite preachers. And they proceeded to say it was because I was to the point, direct, and not very long-winded. So I decided to take that as a compliment. I'm not sure if it was intended as one, but I, I decided to receive it as one. Amen. So I will do my best to be direct and to the point and not very long-winded this morning. <laughs> Amen. But I do believe that the Lord has given me a word for somebody today, and that's all we want. We just want the Lord to speak to the hearts and the minds of his people. That's what we're here for. So John chapter 1, verse 19, when you have it, say amen. Amen. And the word of the Lord says this, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He was not claiming to be Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Amen. And I'd like to concentrate on that last part of verse 27 who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose by the help of the Holy Ghost this morning I'd like to preach a word to you entitled if the shoe fits let him wear it if the shoe fits let him wear it amen can we lift our voice to heaven today and ask the Lord to have his way in his house precious Jesus we love you we thank you for your sweet spirit that has filled the house today. Lord, I ask that your perfect will would be made manifest in this place this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and the minds of your people today. Lord, I am but an earthen vessel. Lord, I want your word to go forth today more than anything. Lord, let the seeds of truth take root in the hearts of your children this morning. We ask that your perfect will would have its free reign and free course in your house today. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You can be seated. 
if we were tasked this morning, if we were asked today to condense all of the stories, the various themes and teachings that you can find in this precious book, if we were asked to boil all of that down and condense it down into one word, I think there would only be one word that would adequately work. I believe that word would have to be redemption. Because this book is truly the story of redemption. If, we, if there, there's so much in this book, I don't mean to, to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. There is so much in this wonderful book of life. But at its core, it is the story of redemption. After, after the fall of man, when sin had entered the world, there became an immediate instantaneous need for salvation. Before sin entered the picture, we know that man would walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to be. There was no such thing as danger. No such thing as danger in any way, shape, or form. There were no such things as predators. There was no food chain, if you will. There were no dangerous storms or elements to worry about, no hurricanes, no uh, typhoons, no tornadoes, nothing of that nature. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was nothing whatsoever to fear or worry about. Everything was perfect in every way. And it's important that we realize that today because many people looking around at the chaos that we now live with on the day-to-day, they look out and they see all the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the, the earthquakes and the rampant sin and, and, and disease and sickness that just seems to plague the whole world. They, they look out and they say, how could God allow this to happen? I'm here to tell you, God did not create any of that. None of that was here by his design. He put us in a perfect world. Sickness is here because we open the door for sickness to be here. Danger is here because we disobeyed God and allowed sickness and danger to become commonplace. This, this is not what God intended. God intended for us to live in a perfect world where nothing would ever be wrong. But when man disobeyed God, every single thing changed. Disobedience reached out and, and twisted the knob of purpose, and it opened the door to sin. And in sin, it, it did what sin does. It came in like a flood. It came in and just began to ravage the world. It began to mess everything up that it could possibly mess up. Sin directly severed the direct connection between man and his creator. And because of sin, man is now fallen in a fallen state and is in need of salvation. Man is in need of a savior. I'm here to tell you this world that we live in, it needs a savior. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need a savior. You need a savior. 
If you don't already know this, let me be the first to tell you this morning that you are by yourself no match for sin. You are not evenly matched up with sin. You are not built, you are not hardwired, you are not constructed in a way that would enable you to handle sin. It is unfair, it is a lopsided battle right from the very get-go, right from the very spot. The, the, the weight of sin is not one that man is able to carry all by himself. The debt of sin is not one that man could ever hope to be able to pay by himself or by his own means. Sin has absolutely crippled humanity in every way that it possibly can. You are no match for sin. You are no match for sin. Sin is a ravaged beast that has no natural predator. It is at its it is at the very top of the food chain in this fallen world. It devours everything in its path and it ravages everything that it comes in contact with. You would be mistaken to believe this morning that you are capable of handling sin. I'm here to remind you, you cannot handle sin. You cannot muster up enough self-control to somehow conquer sin. You cannot simply channel your, your own self-will and be able to push your way through the muck and the mire of sin. You cannot lift yourself up out of the dredges of the miry clay and of sin. There is only one way to eradicate sin, and that's through the shedding of innocent blood. It was a precedent set all those many, many years ago in the garden when an innocent animal had to be slain to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. This is why Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I'm here to tell you, it cannot just be any blood. It cannot be be just any blood type, A, B, or O positive, or O negative. It cannot just be any type of blood. It's got to be the blood of a spotless lamb. It's got to be the blood. Oh, it's got to be precious blood. It's got to be the blood of someone who has known no sin. It's got to be precious blood. I'm here to tell you, man needs a savior. Man, every single man, I don't care how, how put together it, they may seem, I'm here to tell you they need a savior. I don't care how successful you might think they are, I'm here to tell you they need a savior. You need a savior. We need a savior. I need a savior. All mankind needs a savior. And man, man needs a redeemer. Man needs a redeemer. The word redeemer it's a recurring one that you can find throughout Scripture, predominantly in the Old Testament. Appearing first there in the Old Testament, we, we, we see it in shadows and types. We see it in beautiful descriptions. And, and one of the first times we see it, it's according to Levitical law that if a man were to die and leave his wife with no inheritance, no children, no future, it was the expected responsibility of the next unmarried brother or the next unmarried next of kin to take that woman 
as his wife, to take that woman as his bride, and they would do what is called redeem the house. They would redeem the household. And and this redeemer would, would take on and shoulder the responsibility of his brother's house and redeem all that was his. But if the brother refused to step into those shoes, if if the brother refused to step in to that expected role, that expected responsibility, then the widow would have no choice but, but to approach him in the presence of the elders. And she would approach him and she would bend down and she would loose his shoe and she would spit in his face. And scripture says his name would forever be known in Israel as the house the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Now I know that that's kind of an interesting practice and a very foreign concept to us today, but there is so much symbolism embedded in this act that we find in the Old Testament. The the act of loosing the shoe that we read in this passage The shoe represented authority, and it represented dominion and power within the Jewish culture. And by loosing his shoe, he was released of his responsibility, but he was also removed from his authority and from his dominion. Now, two things were required in order for someone to step into this role of redeemer. Number one, they had to be willing. They had to 100% be willing. They were under no obligation to fulfill this responsibility. It was not legally required of them to do so. They could not be forced into performing this act of redemption in any way, shape, or form. They had to be completely willing. It had to be their free will and their choice to fulfill this role because it was not an easy thing to do. It was not a small ask of someone. It was a great responsibility. They were big shoes to fill, if you will. And number two, they had to be able to perform the role. They had to be someone of means. They had to be someone who would be capable of performing this act. For an able to redeem someone, you would have to assume everything that was theirs, everything that was theirs, the good and the bad, not, not just the good things. They couldn't pick and choose what they would redeem. They had to step into that situation and say, I will take all of it. I will redeem all of it. The redeemer would have to assume their houses. They would have to assume their lands. They would have to assume their servants and their debts and their families. The redeemer would have to be willing and able to assume all that was owned and owed by the redeemed. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. The scripture we just read, John the Baptist is doing what John the Baptist does. He's outside of Jerusalem stirring up trouble with the Pharisees. And he's confronted by priests and Levites sent from Jerusalem. He was out preaching and baptizing people, preparing the way of the Lord. And he was creating all kinds of commotion on the outskirts of town. And they were sent by the Pharisees to find out exactly who this man was and who he claimed to be. They came to him and they asked, who are you, John? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? 
Are you the one that we've been looking for? Are you the one that we've been searching for? Are you the one that was prophesied of? And he answered, no, 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 no. I am, I am none of those things. I am not the Christ. I am not Elias. I am not the prophet Isaiah. I am not that prophet. I am not the savior that you're looking for. I am not able to perform any of those roles. I am not able. I am not physically capable of stepping in and filling those shoes. That's not who I am. I'm just here to prepare the way of the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, there is one coming. There is one coming after me who is exactly who you're looking for. There's one coming after me who is more than able to perform the task that you're looking to have done. There is one who's coming whose life will be without sin. There is one who's coming who will hold all power and all authority in his hands. There is one who's coming who will be the spotless lamb of God. There is one who's coming whose shoe I will not be worthy to unlatch or unloose. There is one who's both willing and able to be your redeemer and to be your savior. I want to take a moment and I want to speak to those here today who maybe feel like there's nothing and no one who can save you from the mess that you find yourself in today. If you hear nothing else I say today, hear this and hear me well, there is one. There is not multiple, this is not multiple choice, this isn't pick one of three, but I'm here to tell you, there is one. There is one. There is one. The person who walked into this place shouldering debt and shouldering a burden of a past that they're too ashamed to even talk about. Hear me today. There is one. To the one who doesn't think there's anyone who's powerful enough to break the cycle of addiction that has ravaged your family for generations. Hear me well. There is one. Oh, to the one who's felt alone for far too many nights. To the one who has cried their self asleep from, from loneliness and depression. I'm here to tell you, there is one. There is one. There is one. There is one. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. There is no sin too great. There is no distance too far. There is no valley too low. There is no corner too dark. There is no heart too broken. There is no situation too scary. There is no life too scarred. There is no bondage too strong. There is no chain too strong. Oh, there's nothing that can disqualify him from being your redeemer. <laughs> there is nothing. He's not scared of the skeletons in your closet. 
He's not worried. He's not even remotely concerned that you might be too far gone, that maybe you've done too much, that maybe your past is too concerning. He, he's not taken back by any of the scars that life has laid upon you and left on you. I'm here to remind somebody he loves you. He climbed Calvary's hill for you. He carried that old rugged cross for you. He took those nails in his hands and in his feet for you. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross that was meant for me. He did it for you. While you were yet sinners, he sought you and he bought you. He left the 99 for you. I'm here to tell somebody this morning that he's willing and he's more than able to be your redeemer. This is why the Apostle Paul, you want to talk about somebody who had a past. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he was a saint, was no saint. The Apostle Paul was a murderer of Christians. He would go from town to town, in city to city, from underground church to underground church, and he would persecute and seek out those who were believers in Christ, and he would murder them in cold blood. But one day on the road to Damascus, he had an experience with the Jesus that he was persecuting. And that's why many years later, he was able to write to the Roman church and boldly proclaim for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God what kind of love is this this great love which with he has loved us. Well, let me tell you, there is one. There is one. There is one. There is one who's able. <laughs> oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. We live in a world that is so full of people looking for a savior. You can encounter one everywhere that you go. Someone just going about their day, struggling with things they're struggling with because they're looking for a savior. Chained to things they don't want to be chained to anymore, but they're chained to it because they're looking for something. They're looking and they're seeking a savior. And some of them are so, they've been lost for so long, they would never admit that they need a savior or that they're looking for one. But I'm here to tell you, everyone that is not saved is looking for a savior. They, they may not want to admit it, but at the very core of who they are, they're looking and they're seeking and they're longing for a savior. It, it's a built-in response to this human condition that we all have. They know that there's something missing. 
missing. And they know that there's a void on the inside. And they know that there's an emptiness that they can never, ever seem to fill. They, they may not even realize it's what they're doing. But every time they pick up that bottle, they're looking for a Savior. Every time they find themselves at that club, they're looking for a Savior. Every time they reach out for another human relationship that's going to leave them disappointed and it's going to leave them just this swallowed in failure. They're, they're, they're looking for a Savior. They're looking for something that can fill the void and something that can satisfy the hunger of the soul. Everybody everywhere is looking, looking for a Savior one way, one way or another. But nothing this world has to offer. You're not going to find it in a doctor's office. You're not going to find it in the highest echelons of education. You're not going to find your answer in any of those places. Nothing this world has to offer is ever going to satisfy your soul. There is only one thing that can satisfy the hunger that you feel inside. There's only one thing that can fill the void that, that you've been searching and longing to fill. There's only one thing that's going to fill that emptiness that you have felt for so, so long. And you're never going to find it in a bottle. You're never going to find it in a human relationship. You're never going to find it in, in fortune or in fame. You're not going to find it in any of those places. The only place you're ever going to find fulfillment is in an altar of repentance. The only place you're going to ever find true joy is in the watery grave of baptism when his name washes over you and your sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, here to tell you, you'll only feel fulfilled in the presence of Jehovah you're only gonna find it in Jesus you're only gonna find it in him some of you are thinking right now but you don't understand preacher I've already tried everything you're talking about I've already tried church I've already tried religion. I've already tried walking down this road before. I've already tried walking down the straight and narrow. I've already tried to give it all up and, 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 and just do what I know I'm supposed to do. I know you may have tried those things, but let me ask you, have you really tried Jesus? Have you, have you really tried Jesus? Because let me tell you, friend, nobody, and I mean nobody, can touch you like Jesus can. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can give you peace that you can never comprehend or understand like Jesus can. I, I mean, nobody and nobody could ever wrap you in his loving arms and, and, and bind your wounds with nail-scarred hands quite like Jesus can can have you really tried him have you really really tried him who he really is let's let's talk about what it really means to be redeemed most everybody knows that he is our savior even unsaved people recognize that we recognize him as the savior of humanity and oh i'm I am so thankful he's our savior. Is there anybody in the place thankful that we have a savior? Where would I be? Where would I be without him? I'm so thankful he's our savior because we need one. But did you know he's also our redeemer? 
and to really get a hold of what it means to be redeemed. We've got to go back to those Old Testament examples. We've got to go back to those, those shadows and types, those examples of, of what a redeemer really looks like and what a redeemer really is and what he's really capable of doing. And we need to understand how hopeless of a situation these examples are. When a widow was left without a husband or without children or without family or inheritance, I'm here to tell you that was a hopeless situation in those times. Completely hopeless. They were at the mercy, mercy of good people. They, they didn't have life insurance. They didn't have welfare programs. They didn't have social security. They didn't have anything of that nature. It was a hopeless situation to be in. They were completely dependent on a redeemer completely dependent. And when they found themselves in this situation, they, they had to be absolutely terrified because there was no way out. They could not help themselves out of these situations. But when the kinsman redeemer would step into that hopelessness, the redeemer would step in to the situation and he would say, this house is now my house. I said, this house is now my house, and I will pay all the debts of this house, and I will loose all the bondage from this house. I will lift this house up out of poverty and up out of despair and up out of uncertainty. I will put my name on this house. I will redeem this house and make this house my house. I'm here to remind somebody that that's what he did on Calvary's Hill. That's what he did on that old rugged cross. He redeemed us. He paid every single debt. He loosed every single shackle. He broke every single chain. He made right every single wrong. He completely ransomed me from sin. He is my redeemer. I refuse to let guilt control my destiny. I refuse to let shame write the rest of my story. I'm living the life of somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm living a life that's been redeemed. There are people here right now, right now, who've been living in bondage for so long, <clears throat> have been living the way that they've been living for so long that they can barely hear what I'm saying right now because the voice of guilt has become so loud in your mind and has become so prevalent. It has a microphone in your house and it spews condemnation. Remember who you were. Remember what you've done. Remember who you used to be. And guilt, if, if you let it take place, it will become the only voice that you're able to hear. But I'm just gonna take a minute and I'm gonna preach hope a lot louder than guilt's able to preach to you right now. I'm going to preach hope a lot louder than guilt's able to preach to you right now. 
You've got to stop letting guilt identify you. You cannot let guilt control you and own you and enslave you anymore. What are you saying, preacher? Am I, am I just supposed to pretend that my past never happened? Am I, am I just supposed to act like I've never once been hurt? Am I just supposed to pretend like nobody ever turned their back on me and that I was always just a saint? That's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is if the shoe fits, let him wear it. Try Jesus. If the shoe fits, let him wear it. If he's able to be your redeemer, let him be your redeemer. And I'm here to tell you, I've tried him over and over and over again. He's more than able. He's more than able. He's here in this place right now to redeem you, to restore you, to save your soul. It's time to let go of that thing that you've been holding on to for way too long. You've held on to it plenty long enough. You don't have to pay that debt any longer. He already paid it all. He already paid it all. You've already tried everything, and everything has failed you. Friends have failed you. Family has failed you. Spouses have failed you. But let me introduce you to somebody who's incapable of failing you. Try Jesus. You're not who guilt says you are. Shame doesn't identify you any longer. It's time to let go and let God. I said it's time to let go and let God. The Redeemer is here. I said the Redeemer is here. The Redeemer is here. And he's here to wash away your sin. And he's here to buy back everything the enemy has on you. And he's here to make a way where there seems to be no way. I wonder if we could stand to our feet all across this place. If the musicians could come this morning. <laughs> whenever, whenever I'm facing what seems like a difficult situation, my mind automatically goes to Job. Job was a man who went through things not because he was a bad person, not because he had made so many mistakes, but he went through a lot and it was no fault of his own. He lost his family, he lost his marriage, he lost his friends, he lost his wealth. He lost everything he had. And when he was standing on the rubble of what was once his life, the ashes of everything he had once held dear. He was able to muster up enough strength to stand up and proclaim, I know my Redeemer liveth. There's a lot I don't know. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I do know one thing. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know I know that there is one. 
I know, I know that there is one. I don't know where he is at the moment, but I know that there is one. And he's not going to leave me to my own demise. And he's not going to leave me to just be swallowed up by failure. I know that the Redeemer is on his way. The Redeemer is on his way. And he's bringing joy. And he's bringing peace. And he's bringing hope. And he's bringing salvation. I'm here to tell you, your Redeemer liveth. Your Redeemer liveth. I wonder, I wonder if I could get a raise of hands of everyone who's been brought out of something. Everyone who's been redeemed. Everyone who's been set free. Now I wonder if you could open your mouth and you could begin to give him praise for everything that the Lord has done. Everything that he has brought you out of. Every uncertain situation that he's delivered you from. Oh, come on, that's it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are a testament to his goodness. We are a testament to his power. The redeemer is here. I wonder if everyone who's able in their body, if they could make their way down to this altar today. There are people here that have been holding on to things for way too long. Struggling with things for way too long. It's time to let go of some things. It's time to let go and let the Redeemer do what the Redeemer does. It's time to let go and let him redeem you. Let him make a way where there seems to be no way. There's people, there's people that come to churches every Sunday all across this nation looking for hope. They come, they, they worship, they clap their hands, and then they turn around and leave, leave carrying the same thing they brought in. I'm here to tell you that is not the will of God for your life. That is not the will of God for your life. He's standing here wanting to be your redeemer, wanting to redeem every hurt, everything that you've experienced. He's wanting to redeem all of it. And when you walk away from him, it hurts his heart so much. Not because he's upset with you, but because he knows what he can do for you. And when you decide not to take him for his word, you're bending down and you're loosing the shoe of the Redeemer, releasing him from his responsibility of redemption. I'm here to tell you, he's your Redeemer whether you want him to be or not. He's not gonna force you, he's not gonna push you, but he already paid the price. It's free, it's free. You don't have to come begging for him, he's begging for you to come. He's begging for you to come. Oh, come experience him. Oh, come touch him. Oh, come have an experience by the Redeemer. Come on, let's lift our hands all across this place. God wants to do something in this house. He wants to redeem some things. <laughs> He's our Redeemer. He's our ever-present help.
Shadow. 